still finally gave the Ringers Philly crew a podcast. I'm Ben Solak. And I'm Shiel Kapadia. That's right, just a couple Philly guys with the new space to fire off some Eagles takes, get caught up in the Sixers chaos, and more. We'll be coming to you twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, plus bonus episodes whenever we get breaking news or Philly drama. Plus, when Harden and Embiid somehow convince you suckers that this year's going to be different, our fellow Philly stands at the Ringer will have you covered on the Sixers and all your other favorite teams in town. It's Philly sports, Shiel. What could possibly go wrong? Join the fun and follow the Ringer's Philly special now on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja crisp lettuce, and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken, and buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. Basketball, predictably, unfailingly, all the time, everywhere, is very good. Basketball never stops. I've seen that on some t-shirts here and there. I am joined uh, to, to talk about basketball as this season ramps up into the playoffs. I am joined by the Poet Laureate of Edmonton. She's not in Edmonton. She's not in Philly. I think that she is finally back home. Sirit Sohi. Uh, Sirit. Are you excited? What's your temperature? What's your what's back your what? in the back in the mecca in the mecca of basketball, Los Angeles? What's your heart rate right now? Are you? Uh, I'm I'm excited. Ball is life. Loving. I love the plan. I love the pre plan. The play into the plan. It's been a really good week. I, I this this sort of hop from March Madness to this crazy seedings race to the play in to the play in to now the play in. I've never had so much fun watching basketball waiting for the playoffs to start like this type of this time of year is usually just like all right most of most of the seeds are kind of locked in we know what's gonna happen like we're just sort of we're slogging our way to the finish line, waiting for that injection of good basketball that we get in the first round. But it's just been consistent. It's been good. Yeah, the the last I, well, I was going to ask you, you mentioned March Madness. I mean, you said that as if you, you said that with so much pizzazz that like, were you into March Madness? I know you were into, I was you into were, Caitlin Clark. I was going to say, I knew you yeah. were into that whole that that experience, which was amazing and <laughs> must see TV. Um yeah, I mean, this time of the year is is always kind of weird because I'm like, 
I don't know. I feel like the, the the pieces have been sort of scrambling into the into place, like at the very last second. And we had the you know we had some of the award races going down to the wire. You know, according to Doc Rivers, it all came down to one night. I don't even know why we discussed anything, Siri. It was over. You know, the, well, MB dropped a fifty piece to to for reference what I'm talking about. We did our award season, our, the last edition of our award season podcast last week when we were talking about the MVP. And then uh, Embiid comes out and drops 50 on the Celtics. But I feel like the pieces have been kind of moving more than normal up to mm-hmm. the deadline. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. This this time of the year, the stats are kind of misleading. People will be like, well, in March, Hamadou right. Diallo shot 40% from three. I'm like, well, you know, this time of the year is weird. It's a weird time mm-hmm. of the year. Month by month. Game log stats are just always weird, you know, the month by month split on like how a guy is shooting is basically how, you know, teams and fan bases trick themselves into having hope for, you know, the development of of a young guy who doesn't necessarily have a jump shot. Not not to say that that has to be Diallo, but, you know, that's just that's how it goes. You know, we've all we've all been fans. I also I love, by the way, taking this back to Doc, Doc saying that. After just the madness and incompetence that was the final minute of that 76ers game and just like the the sheer number of ways that they could have lost that game, that they almost did lose that game. Like it came down to Jason Tatum missing a shot at the buzzer when they were da- when, when the Sixers were up six with a minute to go. I don't know. And they also blew the lead in the fourth quarter. I don't know. I think like if I was a coach, I'd be concerned with things aside from trying to ingratiate the best player on my team who doesn't really, who doesn't really seem to like need that type of, you know, I I think Joel Embiid is a smart guy. I think he can see what's happening there. I don't know if he's totally above needing, uh, you know, the positive influence. We can, we can litigate that another day, but you said something really interesting that um, you made a comment about, you know, March stats and sort of, We'll, we'll use a word that has a negative charge to it. I mean, it, in some cases, this can be the case that like some people, they're like convincing themselves to have optimism. And I think that the play-in game has been a pretty positive experiment. You know, the NBA is borrowing some of the lightning in a bottle that makes March Madness incredible and in that we're going to get, we're going to get one, you know, single game elimination situation in this tournament. Um, but overall, like the, do you, I mean, do you feel like this experiment for the NBA is something they should stick with? Um, which I guess your answer to this would, would sort of dictate whether they should stick with it or not. I mean, but you, feel, it sounds like you feel like it's been a positive thing for the NBA, the, the playing game overall. Oh, I don't think it's a question. I don't think yeah. it's a question at all. I think, I think it's made the regular season a lot more exciting. I think it's allowed, you know, it, it depends on the team, but like, you know, the, the Lakers and the Wolves, which we'll talk about. Both teams that were just dealing with a ton of chaos throughout the season and I mean the Timberwolves dealing with a ton of chaos up until the end of the season Uh, and the Lakers obviously like their ups and downs and now they've like they they were they went from LeBron breaks the scoring record and you have this moment where you're like what the hell is going to be this team from here on out like they lose the game that he breaks the scoring record and they lose it to Oklahoma, which at the time feels like a really big game given the play in picture that could, that, and that's another like credit to the play in game. Like all these, all these other matchups, like there's a bunch of matchups that matter a lot more throughout the regular season. It's like jolted a little bit more electricity into the regular season, you know? Um, but it looks at that in that moment, like, 
it's just kind of over for the Lakers. And now that LeBron's broken the scoring record, there is just a lack of excitement. It's like the balloon has popped and you don't really know where they're going from here. And I just, I can't understate how hopeless and excruciating and boring and, and dull and uninspiring the experience of watching the Lakers was before they made all these trades at the deadline. But it was just, it was like, it was a roller coaster of bad. It wasn't mm. like one of those fun roller coasters. It was just like, it was a rust coming off the bench experience and you never really know what you're going to get. And like, none of the role players have really figured out what they, what they're doing is Davis. Like da- every time Anthony Davis falls, you're like, Oh damn Like not this again. And now it's like Davis has been healthy. They traded for D'Angelo Russell. They traded for Jared Vanderbilt. They are like one of the best teams in the league since since the All-Star break. And they're probably the best team in the play-in picture. They're 12 so. and 4 in games that Davis and Russell have both played. They're 9 and 2 when James has been healthy. Like LeBron hasn't even been healthy in this stretch. And they they're still crushing it. You know, like they've they've been like the second best defense since February 10th since the trade and they're they're running they're just they're just a lot more fun and they have an incredible starting lineup so like that's that's a team that now like in in previous years okay now they, they sneak into the seventh seed and they probably play Memphis now they have to do a little bit extra to get there um they're playing a Timberwolves team that I mean gosh let's get into that <laughs> yeah let's get into that let's get into that uh so yeah, this weekend, I mean, it, it went wild. We saw we saw an exchange between Rudy Gobert and Kyle Slomo Anderson uh, on the bench. Where I mean, you, you've probably seen the clip by now. I mean, Rudy made a pretty half-hearted. I mean, it, it doesn't matter how what percentage of the heart was in it. I mean, it was he, he took a swipe at him. I mean, he put it, it wasn't a full-on shove. I mean, we can do sort of a breakdown of of the physicality of it, I guess. But it, he definitely didn't do an open palm to shoulder shove. The arm c- came around in a swinging motion. So, I mean, you have to kind of say that. Like, it and was it a wasn't, punch. It was a punch. <laughs> it I mean, just wasn't like, a very good one. Yeah, it was a bad punch. And you it know, was it was the, the best use of his wingspan all game. You know, Rudy at close range not being accurate is, I guess, I guess stands up to to the reputation. But so, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not good. And he's he's going to be sitting out. Do you do you think? I guess the question coming away here. Of course, the other fold of this is Jaden McDaniels has like uh, fractures in his hand, so he is not going to be playing. I assume he's he's out indefinitely. They're not going to be in the playoffs long enough for him mm-hmm. even to potentially come back. So I don't I don't think. But tell the, tell the listeners tell the listeners how McDaniels broke his hand. Well, he did the age old "I'm mad" punch the wall. Uh, he he got a really dumb foul. I'm trying to remember who it was. He was blocking out, but he basically just face he just turned to face the person and uh just grabbed them and as soon as it started to have who who did he grab i'm forgetting now it was uh anyway but he threw the person to the ground got his second foul he got mad about that i don't know why you know you did it's the old radiohead thing you do it to yourself and that's what hurts the worst so he goes out there punches the wall breaks his hand he's gonna be out i don't i, I just think specifically in um you know, specifically in this matchup, uh, I feel like this is going to this is going to be a tough playing tournament in general. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that they're going to get past the Lakers. And then let's say they're in that second game. 
both the Thunder and the Pelicans, you know, we're looking ahead. Those are very like wingy teams, like Mm -hmm. big ball handlers, not a lot of like big guy presence. If you think about like Trey Murphy, Brandon Ingram, Shea, Giddy, Jalen Williams, there's just a lot of them. They're going to need Jaden. So I kind of feel like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to be too definitive here, but Mm -hmm. I will. I kind of feel like Minnesota's fucked. Okay. I kind of feel like okay. Minnesota's fucked. You know, I really you, do. You do it to yourself. That's what hurts, hurts the most. Might as well be the motto for the Timberwolves season. <laughs> you do it to yourself. Yeah, they should <laughs> play go. it in the arena. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Rodriguez, you do it to yourself. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what do you agree yeah. or disagree? <laughs> no. Uh, so, okay, the, the Pelicans under stuff later. So, this is kind of fascinating because... The Timberwolves are now basically the team that they were last season, minus Vanderbilt, and um, plus Kyle Anderson. And minus Pat Bev, which some some might say is an addition, depending on who you're talking. The the Bulls might disagree, but he was helpful for them, I think. Yeah, yeah. he was was good Pat Bev for them. He was was good Pat Bev for them. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's a big omission there, too. But I think adding Kyle Anderson is essentially the only thing this team needed to do after the playoffs last year. Just like get in a veteran, low turnover, secondary playmaker, closeout attacker who is going to balance things out for you on offense. If if not in the locker room, a little more fiery in the locker room than than on the court. Our guy slow mo, um, which you know made clear made clear with uh, with Gobert's reaction to him, which uh, again, one more on that, like just the reporting on what was said is so funny. It's incredible. It's so funny. It's it's agency like, journalism. Why don't you block some shots? Theater. Why don't you get grab some rebounds? I don't know. I mean, Kyle, me, you and I, we've gotten into it. We've gotten into it sometimes, right? I, you know, I don't know. Never I in sincerity, say, though. I mean, we joke about getting into it. We've never, like, gotten into it. Not like I that. I would say the time that I was recording you at All Star and you, you know, tried to block the camera lens with your hand is basically, like, the closest we got to a Go Bear slow mo level which was of a total farce just, joke all i want to say is that we've said far worse things to each other <laughs> your lame bit here. that i shot down <laughs> yeah which ironically well, so, involved carl anthony towns also but yeah, yeah it did it did yeah, look at that we look go. at that um so look here's here's the thing so the the wolves are basically the team that they had before they traded for gobert obviously there's more nuance to that than than just that but they have a bit of a surprise factor, I think, that they might not have had with Gobert. Now, okay, Gobert goes out. Now, against against Anthony Davis in particular, that is a more difficult thing to deal with if you're the Wolves. I think, honestly, if this was any other matchup and all of a sudden they don't have Rudy Gobert, I'd be like... Oh no. Oh no, that's so sad. Like yeah. they're gonna be so much worse. But like, no, they're not. Um, we, well, we saw them offensively come to life in the second half of that game. Uh, it was the Pelicans. Yeah. It, we, I mean, we saw them come to life um because they had spacing like they did last year. And, and they, you know, they had the they had the five out thing where they had mm-hmm. driving lanes and you suddenly saw Anthony Edwards. It was a t- it was a tough thing, I think, for the developmental kind of corner for Anthony Edwards this year that we wanted mm-hmm. to see grow to add a guy who was not, you know, an, especially a threat to 
A, catch the ball and pass it. B, pop. C, catch the ball on the roll. It just, it was a tough thing. And I, you might be on to something there. I know that mm-hmm. I definitively said they're fucked, but I mean, it's all about preparation and this is going to be a different look. You know, suddenly yeah. you're going to be in a different look on a short turnaround. That could play in their favor, potentially, if you want to play, you know, the hypothetical there. Yeah, exactly. So they really stunted the potential of the cat and duo with the trade. Um, they've just Carl Anthony Towns and Edward and Edwards have just been involved in far less actions this season, especially on picks. Last year, they were in the 76th percentile as a pick and roll duo. And this year it's down to 0.858 points per possession, which is not good. And they've only run it 118 times. They ran it 646 times last season. Way to make a trade that goes away from one of your most efficient plays that involves your two best players, by the way. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like the best. No move. one raised we don't their need hand. To do, we don't need to keep piling right? on this trade, but like we kind of do because it gets worse and worse. <laughs> nobody, nobody like raised their hand and like did A-Rod say, you know, put your hand down. I don't know. I just kind of feel like that one was, that was kind of a crucial it's kind of a crucial oversight. I don't know. You, you remember? Yeah. Have you ever seen War of the Worlds? You ever seen that no. movie? The Steven Spielberg? Well, there's this big thing. I mean, the whole... Pro, uh, it's been out for, you know, like 100 years at this point. But the whole point of it is that, like, the, the aliens set up this, like, million years plan to take down human beings. And they, like, bury these, these like, walker things in the ground. And they emerge. And they start killing humans. But there was, like, one crucial oversight, which was that the aliens were going to get sick in our atmosphere, which to me was like, you know, in those million years of meetings, did no, did no one from that alien race raise their hand and ponder that question? And I'm, I'm not saying that the Gobert trade is on that level, but it seems like a pretty crucial thing to look at the thing that we have that's unique and, and do well mm-hmm. and to say, hey, let's put this guy in the middle of this. Um, I, we're doing it again. We're, we're, we're litigating the Gobert trade again, but it, it's... I don't know. Maybe it'll be. Maybe they'll have a little extra, a little extra oomph. Uh, yeah. Being being sort of reunited with space. Be, with uh, you know, Towns was in and out of the lineup this year too. So uh, I maybe maybe there'll be a little renewed, refreshed energy there between him and Ant. So I've I've done the Edwards and Towns without Gobert on and off splits before. I'm just going to do them again with the final count now that the regular season is over. Edwards makes basically slight efficiency gains all over the place when he's not playing with Gobert. Carl Anthony Towns scores 12 more points per game and his efficiency jumps 27% to 45% from three. His field goal percent jumps eight points. That's a lot. So I think I think this is just going to be a big Carl Anthony Towns versus Anthony Davis moment here. Battle of and the I Cats. Th- yeah. 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 This this is a big Kentucky matchup, actually. How do it you feel is. about that? It is. It's. It's. Uh. I. I quickly on. I mean, uh, there was a time where it looked like if you went back to like 2014, 20, and eh, we'll say 2016 ish. There was a time where it looked like oh, like, like three of the best big guys in the world are like played for Cal, and it's like it kind of has been a story, a, a an unsatisfying story. Honestly, if you think about the, you know, AD got a title, but he hasn't quite been. I always talk about Giannis stole this era from him. Carl has been brilliant at times, but uh, and then you know Cousins got injured and uh, his career got totally derailed. So that's an interesting thing. That's a subplot, though. I wanted I wanted to ask you another, just one more thing about the uh, the Gobert thing. That's you know maybe to the side, but what do you think about that apology? What do you think about that tweet apology? Did he really? You know the the thing that really stuck to me was 
regardless of what was said. Mm-hmm. Wait, I don't know. Did you did you like that apology? I kind of thought like maybe that didn't need to be in there. It should have just been like I shouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. End of story. But he said something. That's kind of what it felt like to me. It was it was a hedged apology, which suggests that. Perhaps there was more said than what we've been told was said. Uh, I think these moments are are tough because you obviously have to apologize right away because you're a public figure and this is how it goes. At the same time, he was obviously very angry about something, and not to say that he should punch somebody because he's angry. That's you should you should never do that. Uh, but at the same time, it's like he's clearly hasn't cooled down yet. He clearly feels like he was in the right somehow. There's like a bit of self-righteousness in his apology, which like in fairness, I think when you do something wrong, it can take a couple of days to actually get there and realize that you know you were complete like you gotta the ego death part of it takes a little longer than the twitter social media age would like for it to i oh, think yeah. yeah are you a quick cool down person do you do you need are you somebody that like your your graph goes down slowly over time or are you like how I, I, just in general it totally depends i think and like i think if you left me to my own devices i would figure it out yeah. I think when there is some sort of pressure to figure it out, it can almost make things a little worse. What about you? I'm pretty quick, but I actually spike up quick too. I like mm-hmm. I get I'll I'll like get on something, be up, but be off it really quickly. Yeah. Um, like uh, just so coming away from this, uh, we, just to keep it to keep it moving. Uh, in general, I mean, what's what's your expe- expectation here? I know we've kind of rationalized why why the Wolves might have some outside chance of doing this. I mean, do you think they're going to beat the Lakers? Oh, uh, the Wolves are like, yeah, it's it's kind of like my devil's advocate theory. I'm just like, I, I don't know. I'm feeling like a, like a white man today. I'm just going to play devil's advocate. Um, so the other thing with the Jada McDaniels injury is like, who the hell guards LeBron James? Uh, this is, this is an interesting matchup. Slow-mo, because I assume, they've right? Played, I mean, they've played twice um, since the trades. And like the Lakers have had like their share of injuries, but they we actually have like some level of useful tape on both these both these teams. Um, McDaniel's held James to zero point five seven points per possession this season, so that's just like a huge huge loss. So yeah, I imagine you start slow mo on on him, but I'm also just like like watching some of the things that Anthony Edwards did to the Pelicans. Like his defense on Ingram, the forced travel, the poke around steal, the late strip, and then obviously like that late block on McCollum. I'm just going to throw him out on LeBron for a second just to see what happens. There is like a fun pass the torch sort of legendary potential there because I feel like Anthony Edwards is a guy that can win any game for you. In, like if it's just a one game sample, which is what I love about the plan, like he can be the guy that does a little bit of everything. But like if we could get like a little bit of like, you know, like a Jordan versus magic in the NBA finals type of moment, like a fe- one phenom on the rise versus like a giant of the game who's lost his set, but he still has he still has a few points to prove. I would just love to see that happen, you know, but. I don't know. There's another, like, there's, the Wolves are not, the Wolves just aren't as hamstrung as I think 
people are making them out to be. Like Nikhil Alexander Walker, I think, can play some minutes on defense. Torian Prince can make it happen too, right? I think the key is just going to be the key is probably going to be Anthony Davis. Like, can he dominate the the yeah. Carl Towns matchup? Yeah, I think I think there's some legitimacy there. I think timeline wise, I think it probably matches up more with like Jordan versus. Well, no, no don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like the Lakers, the the points that you brought up, I, I think that. The Lakers have a little more continuity. Like you said mm-hmm. that like uh, what they've been doing, they've been doing what they've been doing. Their, the moves that they made have helped them and sort of solidified and shored up, up some things for them. Um, but in yeah, the short term... starting lineup has a plus 20 net rating. Yeah. So I, I just feel I like know, this... pretty good. This is a pretty great break for them. And then you think about them moving into, to, you know, to play, play the 2C potentially against... Uh, Memphis, and I feel like it's a pretty decent draw. Like, I mean, I, I feel like if I'm the Lakers, I'd probably want to s- potentially see the Kings or I don't know. The Clippers have been talking pretty confident. I know I saw some Paul George uh, quotes that surprised me that he would say some of the things that he was saying, but I, I feel like I'd feel pretty good about the Grizzlies matchup too if I'm LA, considering the injuries that they've had with, with Adams and then Brandon Clark. But uh, I'm going to lean towards the Lakers as well. Let's move on to. The other seven and eight game in the East, which is a familiar matchup from last year's playoffs. Um, we saw the Heat last year in the 2022 playoffs take down my or uh, take down the Hawks in five games. Um, it didn't even feel that close. Uh, I think in game five, Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry didn't even play, and they still won that game. Um, one of the like uh, these teams are a little bit different. Granted, you know PJ Tucker is no longer with the Heat. Um, you know, Deontay Murray obviously has come. The Heat have sort of started to they they I think they laid a wager down on this like Trey Young alignment when they with some of the moves that they've made. KOC wrote a story about how the Hawks, there have been murmurs that they could potentially uh move their quote unquote superstar and Trey Young. I kind of feel like that's the big storyline coming into this game. If he is rigid in his play style, you know, Quinn Snyder has I went and looked and I didn't see like a, a tracking sort of trend that showed that that they were moving Trey off the ball effectively or if that if there was a lot of movement on that front. Um, I guess all that is to say that like if he's not going to do that, then it does kind of come down to how productive can Trey Young, the source of a lot of their offense based on the way they play, how effective can he be against Miami? They had his number last year. Trey in the pick and roll last year in 45 reps against Miami in that five-game series, 0.6 points per possession. Um, he averaged 6.2 turnovers in that series. Um, they had a lot. This is a tough matchup for him. It, there's no other way to put it. I mean, you think about like the things that Trey likes to do, coming north-south, get you in space, make your big guy look like a fool, get the secondary help coming. The Heat, the way they play defense, uh, they kind of feel impervious to some of the, or they at least are not super vulnerable. Impervious is a strong word. I mean, they're not super vulnerable to like the movement. The you know, I don't feel like the Hawks move enough to kind of put their Mm -hmm. defense in a stressful situation. Um, I don't know. What do you think about this? Do you think that this is overblown, or do you think that Trey can figure this out? How do you? How are you feeling about this matchup for? For Trey. No, I mean, there's a reason that the Heat have historically dominated this matchup, right? And it's not just, it's obviously like the the perimeter defense of like of Vincent and Struis, but like, you know, we spent some time talking about Bam Adebayo a couple weeks ago. And, you know, it just, Bam is going to meet Trey on the level, right? Like, and he is 
one of the few guys in the league, like when we talk about defending one to five, who is not going to get made a fool of by Trey Young, like uh, to, to use your words. So it's just a really ugly matchup for them. And then also this, this Hawks team is worse offensively than last year's Hawks team too. Like they just don't have the shooting that they had last, last year. And then like, you know, we'll see what happens with Quinn in, in, in the off season, right? Like I feel like adding new sets, especially, you know, he came in in February teams are tired. I don't, I don't imagine they got a lot of practice time to be able to actually change the way that they play and trying to also get, you know, your superstar high usage ball handler to play off the ball is something that I think that's like an off season task. Yeah. I don't think that's something that you can really implement mid season. But the other point, I think this is something that KOC also brought up in his article is just that like, you would hope that that was the type of change that Trey would make after lobbying the team to bring in another ball handler and Deontay Murray, you know? Mm-hmm. So that part is just, it's like, I don't know how much willingness Young has to actually change the way that he plays. But then also, you know, if you're going to have, you know, two disappointing seasons in a row that end the same way, which I th- I mean, I don't know, like anything can happen. It's one game. But I feel like this is the this is the matchup that I probably feel like the most confidence about in terms of the way that it's going to go. Right. So then maybe you maybe that's a bit of a wake up call. You at least hope it's a bit of a wake up call. But yeah, I mean, the idea of everybody on the Hawks potentially being on the move is, is like, I don't know. It's really compelling because they have a lot of guys that can play Quinn ball. It's just that like, if the head of the snake isn't going to get down with it, then I don't really know what it looks like. Yeah. This, uh, if you think about like the keeper, I don't want to get into like an off season Hawks conversation here, but I mean, like there are keeper pieces here um, that can, that can defend. Um, I just feel like they, they have a problem which is, I think Miami is going to be able to play really aggressive with with Trey, with Gabe Vincent mm-hmm. and, and Max Struess, you know, up at the level, pushing him towards the corner of the of the half court, you know, towards the towards the timeline in the corner there. And uh, basically, I mean, and Spolster has talked a lot about this that this is their this is their mo when they're when they're playing Trey. They want to pick him up early. They want to pressure him. You know. He's prone to sticky possessions, dribbling the ball a lot, sticking on it for too long, which is kind of odd considering how good of a pass. But that's the problem when, like we talked about, whenever you have like an offense that has a battery and then you have an offense that, that is a conduit and that, you know, Trey's more of a battery. You know, if you look at the way they mm-hmm. pass the ball, um, and, and by that, I just mean like he is the source. He's a home run passer. And I noticed this when I was scouting in college, it was just that like, he wants to make the one play, the one pass that is the right pass. And if you look at like per 100 possessions, I sent this to you. Uh, when Trey is on the court, uh, Atlanta passes the ball 244.9 times per 100 possessions. When Trey is off the court, that number jumps uh, 31. It jumps up to 275.8. Uh, so that is huge. The ball movement, you know, whether or not it's more efficient or effective, it's just it's a fact that the ball moves more when he's not on the court. The problem is that a they haven't gotten as much. I feel like the DeAndre the DeAndre, the DeAndre Hunter sort of narrative stock, whatever you want to call it, has dipped a lot in the past year and a half. I feel like he had enthusiastic lovers in the past. That kind of came out funny, but I have fans. He had fans. <laughs> I don't know anything about DeAndre Hunter's love life. Uh, anyway, uh, moving forward, Kyle, before you say something even dumber. Uh, so, no, I think that uh, 
The other thing, too, is that Sadiq Bey has not quite been the guy. Like, he's been one of the most inefficient kind of closeout defenders, and Miami is going to torch you. You know, they try to hunt Hero. They played a game earlier this year where they tried to hunt Hero, but I just think that, like, overall, they don't have somebody that's going to be able to guard Jimmy. They are going to bother the shit out of what Atlanta does. Watch, watch Atlanta come out and make me look stupid. It is a one-game scenario. But I just kind of feel like I don't think that Atlanta's going to win this game. And I also don't think that this game, even if they win this and they won a couple games in the in the first round of the playoffs, I don't think that that should change their thinking. You know, I think we've seen in the past that like a little bit of short term success can kind of like, I don't know. I don't think that that should distract them from what what needs to be done with this roster. I feel like they may they should probably already know what they're going to do. Don't you think? I think that the vibes are just so bad there, you know. And they've been bad for a while. And like you hear whispers about Trey as a teammate. And it's just, it's starting to feel like it's either time for Young to kind of have a look in the mirror or it, 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 this is just going to be the same story. And like, even if he wants out, even if, even if he wants to go somewhere else or they decide to move on from him, this is still something that he's going to have to figure out, right? Like, He's just been incredibly ball dominant. He's not very trusting of his teammates. I think there's a world in which he can make everyone around him so much better with just his, his playmaking is legendary. You know, he is one of the best playmakers in the NBA. He sees passing angles that very few other guys can actually see. Um, Just, you know, he has gotten free buckets for guys like Capella, like Collins, like a Kongwu. But at the same time, like, not a lot of the young talent around him has been able to develop. And then you see, you know, you see a guy like Kevin Herter who was basically toiling away in Atlanta, trying to either spot up or attack closeouts or basically play like this sort of plotting pick and roll heavy style, go into a system that has a lot more movement. And now, you know, all of a sudden he's great. And I think there's a number of guys on that team that like, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened, you know? Um, So I still think it's like the same story as ever. This team has all of the talent in the world. They can't really seem to put it together and they don't seem to make the tactical moves that you need to see them make in order for them to do that. I would be curious to see what they look like with an off season of Quinn Snyder. I still think that there's so much there and you're already so you've, you've spent so much time with this team that you might as well see some like what it looks like with a guy that has like the right tactical principles. But I'm also a little wary on how much of it actually works out unless you have full buy-in from Trey. Yeah. And it's, it's going to come down to that. And, and, and you know, that's, that's an on and off court thing. It's a cultural thing. It's it just affects your team in so many different ways. And I, you know, one of the big things here is that like that one of the big things in the playoffs. I think if you're going to go the distance, is finding the way. You know, can you keep your strengths on the floor without uh, making yourself vulnerable on the other end or in some way? And that's mm-hmm. kind of that's been sort of the the dissonance I think between what they're trying to do and what they keep running up against. We talk about mm-hmm. his playmaking and things like that. A lot of that is contingent on him bending the defense. And Miami is this team. And you think about the powers that be that are in the East right now. You think about like Evan Mobley is emerging. You think about the Bucks are going to be who they are for at least the foreseeable future. Um, 
I don't know. I, the Magic are, are a big, strong team that seem like they're missing just a couple pieces. I, I just think that like this is, uh, you know, the the Celtics are, are a super switchable physical team that can keep a lot of like rangy defenders on the floor. I just think that a lot of what he does is contingent on him bending the defense. And if we have these really flexible, long athletic teams that are defensively really solid, I don't see that problem going away. And I don't know that there's an offense based on what Trey has shown us in the past I don't know that there is an offense that's going to fix all of those things, like mm-hmm. and, and just going to like magically magic wand make those that the defensive problems. We haven't even talked about that him, him defensively. So I don't know. I'm I think we both are kind of firmly leaning Heat here. Um, I think we need to transition over to the other the other matchup on the other side. Let's talk about the nine ten matchup. Should we uh, should we take a break and then do it? Yeah, let's take a break before we do that. So before we talk about the nine ten matchup between the Pelicans and the Thunder, which Seared is going to uh, educate us on, uh, we're going to take a break. The NBA playoffs are here, and you can turn crossovers into cash with FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA right now and place a $5 bet, and you'll get an instant $150 in bonus bets. Now, before the playoffs start, we got the play-in game, and right now, the Pelicans are favored to beat the Thunder by 5.5 points, and I just think that's a little close. I think that game is a lot more of a toss-up. I might uh, put some money on the Thunder there. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Just go to FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA and sign up to get $150. $50 in bonus bets when you bet your first five bucks. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hope is here. Gambling help? Line MA.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-367 in New York. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. one 877 770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, so we're going to talk about the 9-10 matchup, uh, which is uh, which will go down on Wednesday. And uh, they'll be playing, they'll be playing the loser of the 7-8 matchup. So, uh, yeah, this is so we'll start with we'll start with Pelicans versus Thunder. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting matchup. I really have no sort of read on which way it's going to go. I feel like this two star player, Gilgis Alexander and Brandon Ingram are kind of going to be facing similar scenarios. Both teams have a ton of big wings that they can throw at each other. And then you have guys around them that you just start to wonder, okay, who's going to show up? I think this game is really going to come down to, you know, I feel like I can trust, I can trust SGA. I can trust Ingram. Like I feel like they're both guys that despite the defensive wing talent, on the other side will get slowed down, but not completely stopped. Uh, you know, just, I was watching. So these guys, 
they played each other four times. The Thunder went one and three. And most of the games are pretty irrelevant. Like there's just, you know, people missing, things like that. The game that they played in February, Ingram basically showed that it doesn't necessarily matter if you put Ludor on him. And it doesn't matter if you switch SGA on him. He spent some time on uh, Kenrick Williams, who was out for the season. He... In a sea of players that were like long and strong, he was the longest and strongest. And he almost at this point reminds me of like, obviously there are like the Kevin Durant comparisons. And you see that with the way that he just knows that he can shoot over the top of anybody, but he's also strong. And he's one of those guys that uses his strength to basically just be really patient and be a calming force in the offense and, you know, combine that with his mid-range mastery. And it kind of reminds me of Kawhi, the way that he can just slow the game down to his own pace and, like, methodically find what type of shot he wants to find. Um, and then with SGA, it's kind of similar, except the SGA just uses uses a post a lot more and he gets to the rim more and he gets probably more points in the paint as opposed to mid-range points. Uh, but they both are just kind of... They both play that role for for their teams. And like, we kind of had similar games from both of them. Like that March, that the game they played in March is another testament to the plan because like, that was a game that both teams kind of knew that they had to win, but there was no Ingram in the, in, in the March game. And, and Shay just kind of took over. I'm really excited to see what Shay looks like in an important game. We've yeah. seen what Ingram looks like. And I think Ingram is absolutely the type of guy who can, you know, especially in a one game scenario like this, like just put, a team on his shoulders. And if this was just an Ingram versus SGA thing, I'd probably give Ingram the edge. Um, but it's not. And one of the things that I worry about from the Pelican standpoint is CJ McCollum. Like I, I think CJ is just going to have to have his pull up game, like locked, loaded, confident, ready to go. Uh, because the Thunder Wings just give him a lot of trouble. Um, and he's just, he's, he's kind of, he's in career low territory for, you know, most of his stuff be uh, under the, under the three point line. Uh, he's never been like the strongest rim finisher, but he's also just like, he's kind of in the low 40 area from, from mid range too. So he just hasn't been that efficient in that area. And then you add the length of the thunder. I think they've just, they've been able to bother him a lot in the, in the regular season matchup. And I just, I see that being a little bit trouble, troublesome for him. Yeah. You're like, this is the lowest he shot from the mid range since his second year in the league. He's at 41% in his long mid range attempts right now. Um, I mean, we have seen Shea in some playoff series. I mean, we saw him in a bubble series with OKC, the Chris Paul team, uh, with, uh, I believe Schroeder was in there too. Another funky, weird three guard alignment there. And then we saw him, you know, obviously in that one series against the Warriors. So he's been here, but I guess the big thing is this just is a different Shea though. This is a, that was where I, that was going to yeah. be my next uh, point is that, uh, he has sort of set up some of the pressure release stuff that we talked about when we talked about most improved is that, you know, he can make some of those shots. He can, you know, the big thing is. I like the Ingram thing there, and I think this could spell out maybe what uh, personnel-wise, what OKC could be thinking about, like because like for their roster building or like where they go from here. I'll be curious to see who they play on him if they play um, Jalen with a Y uh, uh, Williams on him at all, because Dort as 
strong as he is off the bounce, it doesn't counter the thing of the... I, I guess the big thing is, is Dort going to be able to keep keep Ingram off of his spots? But I don't know that it's as simple as that. Uh, FanDuel has this game. You know, their their line actually has the Pelicans minus five and a half. They're, they're actually favored. I feel like that's kind of the conventional thinking on this. But I, I feel like this is... This one feels like more of a toss-up to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I could easily see... Because OKC just has that insane, we're coming for you energy. Like, I don't know. I, I just get this vibe that, like, they could come out here and have an agenda uh, because they don't really have anything to lose in terms of where they're going. Um, they're smart. You know, the all four of the eight, nine, uh, or the nine, 10 teams in, in the plan are like projected in the lottery odds, as we know. So they're, they're going to have a chance to add to their team and get this good experience. This feels like a toss-up to me, but it seems like you're leaning Pelicans. And no, it's a toss-up to me too. It's oh, a toss-up okay. to me too. I think I think Ingram is just like I. Th- I just feel like with his experience, I think that he probably has a slight over edge over SGA. Despite mm-hmm. you know SGA's had the superior season, I just think situationally he's been here before and like we've seen him do it. So I just I lean a little bit more towards him. But at the same time, like on the other end, like. Herb Jones is not giving SGA problems away that Herb Jones gives problems to the rest of the NBA. You know, Um, I think both those guys are just such great, tough shot makers and they know their spots. So I think that that matchup, like let's, let's say we call it a wash and it kind of just depends on, all right, we're going to need Trey Murphy to hit shots, going to need Richardson to hit shots. We'll see what version of CJ we get. You hope that Jones hits some shots, right? And it's also going to be an interesting test for Ingram's playmaking too, which is definitely picked up over like, I mean, he's just been on a tear lately anyway, but yeah, I think like, yeah, over, over the last 14 games, he's averaging eight assists per game. Um, and he's shooting above 50% from, uh, from, from the field too. He's just like, he's been on a tear lately, but he's still, that's still a part of his game that he's exploring the thunder, like the way that they, they love getting into passing lanes. They love making you make secondary tertiary decisions and then swiping the ball from you. That's, that's the thing that was really interesting with the JV matchup. And I think that is going to, that might be the X factor. So Valanciunas is somebody who can just absolutely punish the Thunder down low for not really having a, a true center. Mm-hmm. Um, they can put po- like they can post him up. I think the Thunder, the Thunder will probably want to double him and kind of force the non Ingram, the non CJ, the non Murphy shooters to either hit shots or make good decisions. I think that's probably like their best plan of attack against JV. But then on the other end of it. You want to like the Thunder are also going to try to play him off the floor. I imagine they lead the NBA in drives, and that's just that's not a fun scenario for for a somewhat flat-footed Jonas Val- Jonas Valanciunas to uh, to find himself in. Like this could this could end up being becoming a Larry Nance type of game pretty quickly. Uh, but that's one to watch because those those always like those always come down to like game to game. What is the guy giving you? Like is it? is he making up for the loss on defense enough? You know, like is he grabbing enough off offensive rebounds? Like that's the one place where I think that Oklahoma is really vulnerable and that, you know, JV can definitely punish them, but they're also, I mean, like they're a good help defense team. Like for a team that's as young as they are, like they kind of, they know their spots and they're really quick. They're really aggressive at the same time. So I don't know. That's, this this is just a game that I don't have any feel on, but I'm actually I'm also like 
maybe the most excited for it. Yeah, I feel like this one could be chaos. Like, yeah, like this could be a fun, like, holy shit kind of game. Like, you talked about the drives thing. I think that could end up being, you know, if you're a team that doesn't guard the ball well, it's going to be a long day against OKC. Mm -hmm. That's kind of been my, my, like, recurring thing that I've said about them. Um, You know, the Pelicans are... Let's see. They are they have the seventh worst points per chance allowed in the NBA on drives. And as we've said, like the OKC, they just like just ATM machine to just print paint touches off drives. Um, so that that'll be an interesting dynamic. Um, so overall, I think we're we're equally kind of excited, just as like nerdy you know blogger types. Anyway, mm-hmm. we love the young teams. I think that's sort of the that's the. That's loving to watch, loving watching yeah. the world burn. Yeah, uh, let's, let's get let's get Josh Gideon like and J Dub and and Jalen with a Y some some playoff experience or some playing yeah. experience. See how they do. Like they they'll be they have some potential to be bothered by these long strong wings. So I don't know. It's just gonna be fun and, and like you know I think I think I think the Thunder have less stakes. They can just see who they are. They yeah. can learn a bit a little bit more about themselves. Um, and the Pelicans without Zion, you know, I think like the stakes kind of are what they are. They're still pretty low, but I still, f- I feel like because they're a little bit older, I feel like there's a little bit more pressure on the Pelicans to to pull this out. Yeah. Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, in last year, they, I don't know. I don't know how much pressure there really is considering the, the Zion part of it. It's just so hard to, yeah. to, to, to figure into this. This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken. And buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Uh, so let's move on to the last the last matchup. This one is... I feel like these two teams have kind of fallen off the national discourse sort of radar. Like people haven't been paying as much attention to them. A, because Chicago has just kind of drifted from where we were with them last fall to uh, they actually made some moves at the deadline that we can talk about here in a second. But the Raptors, 
The Raptors, Sirith, this is you as sort of a steward of uh, of the North. Uh, you, you are really dialed in on this. I just the vibes have been extremely up and down this season. Um, this is a matchup though, where uh, d- just talking about. Let's talk about the Bulls first. Let's talk about what they've shifted. I, th- I feel like people in general haven't paid attention to this. At the deadline, the Bulls, obviously, I just want to like, I- I'm not somebody that defends Pat Bev all the time, but uh, or very frequently at all, but he is someone who keeps re- resurfacing on teams and affecting them in a way that could be characterized as positive. Um, this is a team, Chicago, that has kind of gotten their shit together since uh, since the beginning of February. Uh, since February 1st, the Bulls have had the best defensive rating in the league at 109.6. Uh, and that's been really heavy on ball pressure. They have a lot of guys that can pressure the ball. Pat Bev, Alex Caruso is freaking brilliant. Um, they've even gotten a little extra effort out of Levine and DeRozan. So they have like a four. That's been their most frequently used lineup. So they're leaning really heavy. And a lot of that is because, A, they have the personnel to do that, but B, they don't have a rim protector back there. There's not a consistent, Mm -hmm. reliable rim protector on this roster. So this is a team that depends on having, you know, quote-unquote smaller lineups out there. What do you think that's going to do against the Raptors, though? Do you think that that is a sort of a philosophy that is going to work in a one-game scenario, or do you think that the Raptors... How good or bad of a matchup is this for Chicago? I think Chicago has just been the superior team since the All-Star break. The Raptors have obviously picked up their defense. Like they're like a top five defense since trading for Jakob Purdo. So they've, you know, they've they've done some of the things that they need to do as well. But and you also, I mean, like another another point for Chicago is just Patrick Williams has really emerged as like one of the better pick and roll switch defenders in the NBA, too. Um, and they're getting better positioning out of Vucevic. Um my gut sort of tells me that the Raptors can pull this one out. Um, DeMar DeRozan has not played well against the Raptors in the last few years. Basically, ever since the emergence of OG Anunobi as like an elite, one of the best, if not the best, isolation defenders in the league, like he has become the guys that kind of gave DeRozan nightmares in the playoffs. So I think like if he can handle DeRozan one on one, but man. <laughs> Like, is Nick Nurse going to let that happen? Like, that's another question that I have too, right? Like, I, I almost wonder if they'll, like, despite OG, throw the kitchen sink at the Rosen, and then all of a sudden you get Levine just going off too, right? Like, those are the two guys you have to focus on the most, but... In, in their regular season matchups this season, I think for the most part, it's been like DeRozan's been in for a game, Levine's been in for a game. So it's kind of hard to gauge um, what the Raptors, how the Raptors would approach a, a fully healthy Chicago lineup. Um, but the other thing is also just like Pascal Siakam is probably the best player in this game, right? I think so. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah the Raptors have the best player as well. And the best player against like, yes, there's ball pre- pressure, but like, I, I think it's going to take like just like yeoman's work from Alex Caruso. And I'm not saying he can't do it. And I think it is actually going to be fascinating to watch some like Pascal Siakam versus Alex, Alex Caruso possessions that like, you know, for, for people like you and me, that is just like manna in heaven. Um, I think it'll be, I think it'll be interesting how, how they sort of navigate guarding him. Um, but I don't really, I don't know. I don't have a feel for this. I feel like the Raptors are going to win. You know, it's Chicago. It's been, a, it's been a good, it's been a feel good story. Um, I mean, not, and not like an overly, they, they've, they've pieced something together that has worked, but they're also 17 and 15 in, during that stretch. 
uh, since February 1st. So they found something that kind of works, but I just feel like they're going to have to shoot the shit out of the ball to like overcome the easy offense that Toronto is going to be able to produce. And I think you hit on it. Um, you know, the fact that that three headed monster of OG Barnes, Siakam, and you could even go further. Um, Toronto also turns this team over a lot. And I feel like that's going to be an issue. Um, I think Pirtle's going to be an issue for them as well. Like if they're going to be playing uphill, I just feel like, uh, they're going to be depending a, a lot on on creating sort of havoc and disruption, and maybe they'll be able to do it. But I, I just feel like Toronto. Um, I don't particularly like this matchup for Chicago, but I could be wrong. That's fair. That's fair. I think so. Let's let's zoom out a little bit. Both these teams made deadline moves that were a little bit, I think, in denial of what they actually have, and they've both figured a few things out but neither of them are necessarily made the kind of like post trade deadline jumps that would suggest like, Oh yeah, this was a no brainer to just add a little bit more and then see what you are. Now from the bulls perspective, just because their future is so handicapped because of, you know, the, the deal, like the, the way that they had to like give up a bunch of picks to get the uh, DeRozan there, get Vucevic there. Uh, it's a little bit of a different proposition for them. Like the risk, you know, the, the cost benefit analysis of trying to win this season is, is like, you know, it's, it's fine for them to do that with the Raptors. I'm a little bit like, do you have to give up picks for Jacoberto? You know, like, is that <laughs> yeah. just for this in this draft? In this like, economy? I, just, I feel like this is yeah. a team that just needs a lot more talent. Like they both, they both could use an injection of talent and like both. I just don't think they are going to get a lot from, the plan, the Raptors probably have a few more guys that could use some playoff experience, but like, I don't know. Yeah. Like get Scotty Barnes into a play-in game, but is that really worth all of this? You, I mean, you, you're assuming that that move was just to get into the play-in game. I mean, um, I, yeah, I, I definitely think these teams are kind of both in the same tier of like, they have ascended to the point of being annoying, but they, like we always say the superstar acquisition game, they're not, it, we're waiting for them to cross that bridge, mm-hmm. you know, to, to cross into the Rubicon of, of superstar, you know, head to head matchups and things like that, which is what, you know, the playoffs kind of come down to in a lot of situations. You talked about Siakam. Siakam, he's there, but it's sort of like he he's sort of that like um, he's waiting in the wings. It's like he's not quite on the level of the of the, uh, the the first team all NBAers. I don't know. Like, is it, I don't know. Am I right or wrong? Am I like going on this direction of... No, I think that's he's fair. Very I think he's good. right on that line. He's yeah, right on yeah. that line. Yeah. it's He's sort of like the second or third best player on like a title level team. But um, anyway, I, I'm I, I, all that said, I'm still leaning towards the Raptors winning this one just because I like them. I like the way that... that, that uh, they, they've also picked on Andre Drummond in previous matchups in this. I just... I kind of wonder if Chicago's going to run out of answers if they're not able to turn Toronto over. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, overall, the playing game, those are... We're going to be reacting to those games and uh, the playoff coverage is going to be very reactionary on the site and on the podcast feeds. We're going to see some changes... Uh, in the pairings. Um, So you're going to be maybe seeing a little bit of a different look, but it's going to be coming at you fast 
and furious. Sierra, anything else you want to add about the playing games? Anything else on your, are all hearts and minds clear this afternoon for Sierra Sohi or, or what's going on with you? I mean, clarity is hard earned and I haven't particularly earned it quite yet. So uh, sure. now all I'll say is we've already got some good stuff for you guys. Wes Goldberg wrote a feature about Kevin Love and yeah, check out KOC's Hawks article. I think it's a pretty good depiction of exactly where they're at and uh, go yell at Michael Pina about his MVP and, and uh, just in general, and, just go yell his, at Pina. Was, he was brave enough to put his entire awards ballot out there for you guys to dissect and criticize. So, you know, get it, get in on that. Yeah. Pina's Pina is not a coward at all. He Pina is basically the embodiment of the, uh, the Neo meme of the, uh, you know, the, Come get some, basically, and I, I admire mm-hmm. that about him. Yes, uh, Hawks fans didn't really enjoy KOC's article. I was noticing. I was enjoying the response to I mean, that. Have they, have they enjoyed the season? Are they like watching this and being like, "Yeah, no, we're just, you know, we're just a, a hop and a step away." There's a th- there's a thing when there's something going on with your team where it's just kind of like you can know that it's going on and you can be annoyed about mm-hmm. it, but like other people aren't allowed to talk about it. We saw that for years with the Jazz, where it was like they were defending. They were just like, "No, nah, man, the Gobert." No, you're not. You don't understand Gobert. And then it's like screen assists. The moment, the moment Gobert leaves, they're like, oh yeah, he did. Yeah, wow. Okay. Uh, I just kind of, you know, that that goes on. That goes on. I can't even tell you how many times I've had people tweet at me and be like, don't talk about my team. There's just a there's a surliness, you know. There's a surliness. I think that comes yeah, it's like when it someone makes fun of your sibling. Yeah, yeah. You can't say that. I can mm-hmm. say that. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Uh, Sierra, good to see you. Uh, I guess that is all. So we will catch you when we catch you in whatever form. Just keep an eye on the feed. Uh, no promises on whether or not Sierra and I will be doing reactions. We'll see. It's gonna be a. It's gonna be just like a game of. Is Boggle the game where they press the thing and it jumbles? Is that the? It's gonna be sort of a grab bag. We'll see. But uh, mm-hmm. we'll be coming at you soon in in some form. This has been the answer. We're produced by Chris Hornet Legs Sutton, and uh, we'll catch you next time. I know. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.